I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. Welcome to another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I am Philadelphia Daily News columnist. Dave, I have to say Philadelphia Inquirer columnist, too, David Murphy. You just got to say Philadelphia columnist, I think. Fresh off a big all-department meeting, Marcus Hayes and Mike Sielski joined me um, here in the studio at 801 Market Street. All three of us were at MetLife Stadium. Can't believe I remember that name. Very I always good. call it Giant Stadium. Um, we were at MetLife Stadium on Sunday, and um, we watched this Eagles team keep on rolling. Um, anything you see surprise you? We're gonna talk about the. We're gonna talk about what you expect out of them, um, um, in the playoffs. In the playoffs, because I think uh, the most significant development of the weekend was not the Eagles winning, but the Packers losing, because I think anytime you can take the head of the snake out yes. before the playoffs even start, your odds. Put it this way: I think the Eagles' odds improved a lot more at one o'clock than they did at um, whatever four twenty-five when they lost. Um, I guess they played at 1 o'clock, too, but I think the Packers game was over first. Because Aaron Rodgers threw inter- three interceptions. What do you expect? Marcus, do you think this team can win a Super Bowl? Mike, uh, argue with Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because the, the day that Carson Wentz, they after, the day that Carson Wentz was injured, I believe Mike wrote, you know, that that's it. All hope is lost. All hope is lost. But that was before the Packers and the Seahawks yeah. lost. And well, let's not get ahead of it. All hope is still lost, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if he's changed his mind. In this thought experiment that we're gonna we're gonna play right. until they lose, yes. it, it got better. And then the next day, I wrote, having read his column and heard a lot of you know garbage on the radio, I was like, look, yeah, their their chances are worse, but it doesn't mean they're they're eradicated. In part because the rest of the league just isn't that good, and I don't think the rest of the league got any better over you know the last. Uh, eight or nine days, I'm not sure the Eagles are quite as good as I thought they were either after after Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I mean... Wait, wait, so you don't think that... You think... So your estimation of the Eagles dropped on Sunday afternoon? It did, mainly because... And, and I uh, even factoring in three games on the road and the defense being tired, I mean... Th- and it wasn't as much the soft underbelly of the underneath passing game being mm, eroded. Soft underbelly. So yeah, we like that. It was the fact that the, the the best part of this team always has been its defensive line, and Eli Manning should be incredibly devourable. Period, and he just wasn't. They they didn't they didn't get to him, and that's since they didn't get to Russell Wilson, who ran them ragged. They've been kind of a different seven man unit. I don't know why. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're going to be great in January. But that's the greatest concern for me, that the best unit on the team isn't playing nearly as well as they played up until Seattle. You know what's incredibly devourable, in my opinion, is your soft underbelly. <laughs> There's a lot of it. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to lead you guys to it. <laughs> Mike, uh, do, you, do you agree or disagree? Your thoughts? My thoughts are pretty much the same as they were when I saw Wentz go down in L.A., which is that Wentz was so good this season, and with the way that the Eagles set themselves up as a team in terms of the moves they made to go up and get Wentz, that he was so essential to their success that losing him really undercuts really the realistic hopes that they might have of getting to the Super Bowl. And here's why yeah, I say Yeah, they're done. Well, you can say it. Yeah, done. I mean, I, I just, I feel like it, it's, I would be incredibly surprised if they get there because they're going to end up playing Drew Brees and Sean Payton, maybe. 
maybe Mike Zimmer and the Vikings, who have a terrific defense, and in Case Keenum, if not a superstar quarterback, if not a star quarterback, at least one who's playing competently. They might play Matt Ryan and the Falcons. Right. Um, and, you know, they might – I mean, Seattle might get in there, I suppose, as, and, you know, as bad as it looks now, you saw what Russell Wilson did to them. Um, and, and my feeling is that without Wentz there to kind of cover up everything else that might be going wrong, and Marcus makes a great point about their defensive line, it has not played well over the – with the exception of Chris Long getting to – Jared Goff at the end of that the Rams game, it has not played well lately, and with the exception of maybe Brandon Graham here and there. Right. Um, it has not played well, and Wentz is not there to be the superhuman to kind of overcome all of that. Um, you know, and so my feeling is they're probably going to get home field. They're probably going to play a team where they will have a severe disadvantage vis-a-vis the quarterback position. Mm. Nick Foles is not going to be better than whoever they're going to end up playing in that game. Um, you know, it, it's debatable whether Doug Peterson will be the better head coach, you know, in whoever they face. I mean, if they end up facing the Saints, I would say you give the edge to Sean Payton. Yeah. If they play the Falcons, okay, maybe you give the edge to Peterson as opposed to Dan Quinn. So I just feel like there's a lot of hurdles for them to overcome if we're going to talk about them well, getting into the Super Bowl. Now, the, I'll play devil's, devil's advocate. Okay. Um, and I keep going. We're only five years removed from, from – Joe Flacco winning a Super Bowl title. Um, and, yeah, Joe Flacco is better than Nick Foles, but... <laughs> By how much? Yeah. Um, and Colin Kaepernick, obviously, was... was uh, what was the final score of that game, anyway? The the Ravens, yeah. 49. Wasn't it like 38-35, something it was, it was, around it was, there? Like, it was, it was, Colin yeah, Kaepernick a came... Chance, a, yeah. guy, a guy who, who arguably was not a great starting quarterback at the time and who, frankly, is out of a job right now um, and would have been out of a job even before the, the you know... I mean, he. Let, let's not forget, Colin Kaepernick did not start kneeling for the anthem until after he had already been benched for Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> so, like, I don't. I definitely think that you know the, the anthem clearly plays a role in his his not having gotten a shot as a backup. But Colin Kaepernick has not been good for a long time as a starting quarterback, mm-hmm. and yet, um, with a great defense um, and a good head coach, he nearly, very nearly won. And, right. and even though he didn't win, Joe Flacco did. now has a Super Bowl <laughs> ring. Yeah. Um, so that so the so the argument then would be um, how much better than Nick Foles is Case Keenum, you know how much better than Nick Foles is Jared Goff. Uh, I mean, I would argue in both cases, the answer is I, I I've always been a fairly big Case Keenum fan, relatively speaking. I mean, he makes two throws a game that are just killers. He's avoided that lately, but um, you know he's he's always been a competent um, competent competent quarterback, um, but. How much more competent is he really? Um, well, I don't know. It, it sort of depends on the the ancillaries, and you know, right? I, it, it's really tough to. It'd be very tough to pick the Eagles, even at home in January against New Orleans, and what they do defensively, and who Drew Brees is. You know, it, it, he's kind of like the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar of quarterbacks, in that he's incredibly efficient, he's incredibly successful, and he's not one of the first names out that's, of your mouth. You know, that's a great comparison. It really is. I mean, because if you look, you know, Jabbar never gets mentioned as an all-time great NBA player, and he should. Right. I mean, he was the all-time leading scorer when he finished. Yeah. He was the all-time leading scorer when he finished. But anyway, I mean, Drew Brees has all I'm just trying to wrap my head around the fact that we're, so, we're, we're all of a sudden we're comparing Drew Brees and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. No. Which, I, yeah, Mutt and Jeff. So, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Let's think outside that box. So, but yeah, I mean, Drew Brees is really, really good. And honestly... 
that's the only team that concerns me, all things considered. I don't think the Eagles will blow anybody out. I don't think the Eagles will dominate anybody going forward, period. You know, and if Dallas is right in week 17, they might be the number two team, you know, if they get some help and get in these playoffs. But it's really tough to sort of diminish the rest of the squad. And it's hard to diminish what he did in New York, third game. He and they did in New York, third game on the road against a divisional opponent that for somehow protected Eli Manning. Because that's always the X factor with the Giants. Yeah. If you can get to Eli Manning, you're going to win. If you can't, he's probably going to beat you because he's still talented. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to see. It'll be really interesting to, to see what happens once Dallas takes their last snap of the, game, of the year because then I think we'll know more about all these teams. And the, I mean, the crazy thing right now in the NFC, um, I mean, there's there's a a I mean, not maybe not probable, but there's a at least a realistic chance that Atlanta the Atlanta ends up as the number two seed um, in <laughs> That's the. That's uh, Well, maybe all right. We number, didn't even I, mention, a, Carol- we didn't mention a, Carolina. Either, I shouldn't say the number two seed, the number yeah. three seed. Um, I mean, I mean, the Falcons right now are nine and five, um, and they they play the two teams ahead of them whom they trail by a game. Um, and it, so put it this way, if Atlanta wins out and beats the Saints and the Panthers, um, you know, all of a sudden, uh, I mean, they're, let's see, that they would be 10-2 in the conference, so they would have the tiebreaker over the Rams. Right. Right? They haven't played the Rams this year, have they? No. Um, so all of a sudden you would be looking at uh, another good quarterback, uh, potentially coming into Lincoln Financial Field. But let, let's like look at it at a granular level right now. Um, with Atlanta as the sixth seed, the Eagles would be at this point would be projected to to face either them or um, what would be it? It would be Atlanta, L.A. I think would be the the wild card game, and then it would be Carolina, New Orleans would yes. be the other wild card game. Right. Um, I mean, Los Angeles, agree or disagree, scares me least of any of those teams. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Carolina scares me least out of any of those teams. Yeah, pr- I would say probably Carolina. Um, but think about the conversation you're having. Which team scares you the least? Right. Not which team scares you the most. I will say this: I would not shock me. Like it would shock me if the Eagles beat the Patriots. It would shock me if the Eagles beat. Um, it would shock me if the Eagles beat the Steelers. Um, it would not shock me if the Eagles beat anybody in in the NFC. Even right New Orleans. Now. Uh, coming into coming into later. coming. I mean, Nick Foles left the field with the lead, as the legend goes, against Drew Brees. <laughs> Who was, who was four years younger at the time. You know, and, you know, let's talk about Nick Foles just for a second. I am not a huge Nick Foles fan. I wasn't when he was 27-2 and two Nick Foles, and I'm not today. However, Nick Foles won a game on the road in relief of an MVP candidate, then won a game on the road against a divisional opponent, and played probably about as well as Nick Foles is going to play at this point in his right. life. So – it's not as though Nick Foles has given anyone reason to doubt Nick Foles, only reason to maybe diminish him by comparison to right. Carson Wentz and what Carson Wentz has done. He has given he's given people no reason to doubt him in in a concrete sense, but he is still Nick Foles in the abstract sense. Yeah, that I, <laughs> yeah and the other and the other part the, to keep in mind too, with respect to the Rams game, is that um, you know he led them to a win insofar as they got two field goals. Including one in which they were given the ball at the thirty-five yard line right. after the long right, sack. But, the, but the, the point of Nick Foles is, you don't want him to lose the game. Right. 
No, and of course. At this point, that's all you can really hope for for a guy, you know, on a very poor St. Louis team, in a very poorly coached St. Louis team, which you know subsequently moved to L.A. A guy that actively, <laughs> nice save, actively <laughs> lost. Well, it was in no, he was, was in St. Louis, St. Louis at the time. At the time. Yeah, he's talking about when Foles was uh, with when the Foles Rams. had that what seven game stretch where he was two touchdowns and nine interceptions with a fifty five passer rating. That's a quarterback helping a bad team lose games. Right. You know, he he, he was not. You can't absolve him of any any right. guilt because Nick Foles was out of a job, out of a starting job coming into. Although this I will two. say, as as rough as this. NFL season has been in terms of, you know, key players and stars getting injured, um, you know, attendance being down, bad calls, you know, what, what happened, the, you know, the controversies mm. over officiating and things like that. I mean, you could say it's been a sad exclamation point. <laughs> so you could season. say that. The one shining light, though, has been the, the collective realization that Jeff Fisher is a god-awful head coach and ruins quarterbacks yeah. and hopefully will not be recycled again as, uh, as a head coach in the NFL. Like to speak to Mike's, I think, Mike, you were making this point earlier, but Marcus, you were saying, yes, Nick Foles' job is to not lose games for the Eagles. That's the most you can hope for, for out of him. But I think, and you saw this against the Giants to, to a certain extent, I think, if you're looking at it from a certain vantage point, is that the, the thing about Carson Wentz is he has helped the Eagles win games this like, year. Like that's, you know? That would be my concern, which is the, the two games where they had Wentz for the entirety of them, where Wentz was not excellent, were Kansas City and Seattle. And right. they lost both those games. Even when Donovan McNabb was here and at the peak of his abilities right. – that team won games where Donovan didn't play well. Right. Oh, absolutely. You yeah, know, the, they, that did not happen this year. Well, this team, I, I think we can all agree that this team is greater than the sum of its parts. And that 4 team was as good as the sum of its parts. I yes. mean, you had lots of really, really good players who had proven that they were really, really good. They weren't writing their scripts like Fletcher Cox and Lane Johnson. You had John Runyon, Runyon and, and Trey, Trey Thomas, Thomas Brian and Westbrook. Brian Westbrook and Brian Dawkins and so and Terrell Owens, you know. So you, the, this team is different from that team in that it is better than it probably should be and probably won some games both via Carson's genius and the fact that the league just isn't nearly right. as good as yeah. it was 13 years ago. So, you know, Donovan at his peak, I, I think 04 and maybe 10 were his best two years, if I'm not mistaken. But Donovan at his peak w was a different animal from Carson Wentz, but the league was a different animal from Carson Wentz as well. But from All right, so from the from the vantage point of, of this past game, I think it's very easy to make a case. It, it, it's very very easy to explain your case, one's case, why the Eagles are screwed. Um, they played – not only did Nick Foles play as well as you could have hoped for Nick Foles to play, the, the guys around him played as well yeah. as you could have hoped for them to play. And, and hey, look, write all the Nelson Aguilar songs you want. He's still Nelson Aguilar, and you're not—you can't expect him to make that catch. I don't know. He's um, made it over. He's made and plays over and all over. season. I mean, I, I, dude, I, if you're I, going, look, if you're going to the playoffs, saying, "Man, all we need is Nelson Aguilar no, to ball nobody's out." Nobody's saying that. No, but no, no but what, that's my my point is is right. that they played as well as you can hope for them to play. Nelson Aguilar also dropped the Nelson Aguilar pass. Oh, he did in that, yeah. in that game. Yeah. Um, but but even Alshon Jeffrey, Alshon Jeffrey made two. He made one ridiculous catch, and he, and he made a, his first touchdown was was he did a. Great job to find find a, a seam so, in the back yeah. of the end zone, keep his feet in bounds, and Nick Foles did a great job to see him. And somehow kept his feet old. like. And Nick Foles also was as limber as you can hope. That he, <laughs> like Everything went well in that game, and 
they almost lost. And it was the Giants. And JHI yeah. was as good as you know. You know what I'm saying? I'm just yeah. saying that mm-hmm. that it kind of they the, the, when they play their best, they're not nearly as good as when they played okay with Carson Wentz. Right. But that's the definition of moving up in the draft to get an MVP candidate. But it doesn't mean that they can't win against teams that are as good or even better than them, especially when you're home in January. And this is not to paint Nick Foles or anybody else as, you know, the frozen tundra, Brett Favre. And, and then Nick Foles <laughs> happened. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wish we could have images. Like, why can't there be technology where people can, I can superimpose an image on people's eardrums? Because I just like, every time we talk about Nick Foles, I think of that, super, that Sports Illustrated cover. The you know the Eagles were doubted out, and yeah. then Nick Foles, Foles happened. happened. Yeah. Like this is a, let's keep in mind, there's a guy four years ago that everybody was thought was Carson Wentz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. For better or for worse. Anyway, the 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 reality is we just don't know what they're going to be facing and who they're going to be in three weeks. Right. Yes, that's, you know? that's right. Yeah, and and it's it's and, funny. And, and the biggest issue for me is not Nick Foles or the, the defensive de- line. It's the offensive line mm. because Nick, the, the genius of Carson Wentz is that with receivers who right. don't get open very quickly and with an offensive line and, and, you know, with a as a quarterback who doesn't have a quick trigger, who, who doesn't really know what he's looking at, that offensive line protected him pretty well for a long time, a lot of times, which led to scrambles, mm-hmm. which, you know, amplified his genius. But that offensive line protected him pretty well for a long time, a lot of times, even after Jason Peters went down. And they did a, ver- a fairly good job in yeah. New York when Chance Warmack started for Stefan Wisniewski. Yeah. So if you get Wisniewski back and healthy, Kelsey back and healthy, maybe this team is appreciably better than it was, maybe 4%, 5% better than it was at MetLife Stadium, Dave's favorite place to watch football. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, Murph and I kind of wrote about this uh, last week. In terms of seeing, being curious about what we're going to see from the offense now that Wentz is not there, that it's kind of a test in a way of of Peterson, because up until this point he had had Carson Wentz mm. at his disposal the entire time and called plays accordingly, and that takes nothing away from the way he can design plays because he clearly can. The offense looks good and and everybody looks sharp, but there is a difference between having a deep ball to Mac Hollins open to you as a play caller and then not having that. And so, you know, in that regard, I thought Doug came off pretty well in that Giants game. Absolutely. You know, in terms of scheming things and and making things work. Hey, we're going to throw a screen to Alshon Jeffrey on the second play of the game that gains 15 yards and we'll move on from there. How that changes as they move forward, um, you know, continues to be, for me, you know, something to look at and something I'll be curious about. The other thing I'm curious about – is, you know, Murph, you made a reference to the Ravens and that kind of of out-of-nowhere run that they made. Mm -hmm. And I talked to Malcolm Jenkins after the game Sunday about the 2009 Saints, who were the dominant team in the conference that entire year, got off to a 13-0 start, lost two games where they played all their starters, and then benched everybody in the final game of the season, and then went ahead and got to the Super Bowl and won the thing. And the Ravens were god-awful the year that they won the Super Bowl over the stretch. They, they lost four of their final five games and limped into the playoffs. So I guess I would ask you guys, like, do you have any thoughts on where – does it matter where the Eagles are? Like, does it matter what happens over the next couple of games in terms of how they're playing, who gets rested when, you know, does Doug have to take care to get this team playing at, you know, at its optimum level or does it even matter? Well, 
the two the two constants in the in the two examples that you used are are really excellent head coaches yeah. and diverse head coaches guys that understand a lot of different sides of the ball in uh John Harbaugh and, and Sean Payton Payton being in uh New Orleans and Harbaugh being in uh in Baltimore I don't know that Doug Peterson is that good a coach, but I think he's really good. I wrote that he should be coach of the year this year, and I don't think anybody can argue that he shouldn't be a, 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 a candidate, candidate yeah. as coach of the year. And if you have the coach of the year who's done this job, think about the, 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 what they have. When he sits down and he looks at his roster, at no point do you say, oh, I can count on this guy for this, even Carson Wentz, who's still a developing player. So he's sort of juggling cats and chains. He's herding cats and juggling chainsaws every time he comp- compiles a game plan. So that'd be dangerous answer, if you were juggling both cats and chainsaws. Well, at the same for time. the cats, yeah. So the uh, or whoever's standing beneath. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so when you when you say, okay, what do they do the last two weeks? Does it matter what they are going into the playoffs? If they have a buy. And we've seen Doug do what he's done so far. I think it matters less when you have an elite coach if you think he's an elite coach, hmm. to answer your question. Especially since nobody really has the, – the only person you can look at on this team and say, I'm getting this from this guy. Well, there's probably three people. Lane Johnson, mm-hmm. Zach Ertz, and um, – Brandon Graham. Probably Brandon Graham. You know? Coach Cox, I think. You yeah. Get there yeah. On there. Okay, that's fine. So you've got four I we were people. I just talking offensively. You've got four people that you know, and only one of them touches the ball. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. you know, you're, you're talking about a, kind of a, a, a very, uh, I don't know, ethereal entity. You don't really have a team that you can predict. Right. Even half to half, much less week to week. Yeah, I think the best way to put it is like, and this is how I view the Eagles, is they were if they if, if if they had Nick Foles all year or Case Keenum all, substitute Case Keenum for for Carson Wentz. I think the Eagles are still a ten and six team. I think they're they're ten and six, nine and seven. They're where all those other teams. I think that, but but the, they're still a good team. They would have been the team that we probably thought they were going to be anyway heading right. into the year. But the the difference between them being that and being twelve and two and a fir- and a legitimate Super Bowl contender. It was was the way Carson Wentz has played. I think like you can you can look to maybe like a similar you can look to maybe a similar um, parallel between the Falcons of this year versus the Falcons of last year, where where you know they're still a good team this year, but th- last year they were world beaters because of how well Matt Ryan played. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I I just I think that's I think that's where we're at. Here's my question: Should the Phillies trade for a starting pitcher? <laughs> nice segue. I, I, well, uh, listen, Marcus is here. He, he covered the Phillies for mm-hmm. for. Five six years was mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Um, and I'm curious because I, I think the Phillies longer. are a huge story, um, and I wish we had an entire podcast yeah. to talk about them because mm-hmm. what they did at the winter meetings and signing Carlos Santana, which then shifted Reese Hoskins to, to left out, field, out the outfield, which then essentially all but guaranteed that they will be trading one of Adubel Herrera, Nick Williams, or Aaron Altera. I would think absolutely um, yeah. for a, yeah. for a starting pitcher like that. That ju- it, I think a lot of things have have changed in Phillies land um, over the last week. What, what what say you from from your vantage point? Well, so far? I, I, when I covered them, they were kind of this team. You right. know, they were a team that expected to be around 500. Had some young pieces in Jimmy Rollins and Pat Burrell, and Cole Hamels came up during Gavin Floyd, Brett Myers. People people forget about them a little bit, but they were very similar to this team. And, and the big move was Jim Tomey, right? And the big disappointment was Scott Rowland. They, they traded Scott Rowland and signed Jim Tomey and extended Bobby Abreu and did some other things. 
And it did, and people forget it didn't work. Yeah. They sold it off. It failed. Mm-hmm. And it failed pretty catastrophically in that the manager and the general manager got fired. Right. So I've seen this act before. And I don't think if that if that's the way they go, if they trade for a veteran starting pitcher, if they trade for John Lieber, okay, then no, I, I don't think that's a good idea. I'd rather see them lose, you know, 98 games again and find out more about young arms they have or young arms they'll get than trading for the pitcher equivalent of Carlos Santana. But then, but according to our Matt Gelb, our guy. Mm-hmm on the scene um the names that they're actually considering um, or at least the the realm that they're they're window shopping in is are the controllable and good yeah damn good like chris archer's a damn good starting pitcher um and frankly they have they have the wherewithal to trade for for chris archer especially if everyone's going to be especially if they don't acquire manny machado you know Mm -hmm. if everyone else is going to be you know shooting their whatever their I don't know if they're expending their assets. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, I couldn't say that on a you family mean, podcast. You, by acquiring well, Manny Machado, you mean trading for him this year as opposed to waiting for him to become. What I'm saying is, is that that yes, exactly. I okay. think it will take a lot less to get obviously get Chris Archer than Manny Machado. If right. They, if they can put together a competitive offer for for Manny Machado and somebody else beats it, I think that they, they're they would easily be able to get Chris Archer because and you know, they have the assets not only to acquire him but also be relatively whole after the exactly right. that's what i'm saying and so like very yeah. very similar to, to the stand trade you yeah. know i think that like if you're trading a nick williams a michael franco and a you know not sixto sanchez but a younger mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. younger lower minors pitcher like you're very much a similar organization after that yeah uh, well except you have that massive talent you know right exactly yeah and that, but what i'm saying is like you you can acquire that guy with that like that would be akin to acquiring cliff lee the first time you know, yeah. like that's how good Chris Archer has been. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, not maybe definitely not on that level. But also not. He's not joining the same team. You know, he's joining a team that's that's won a World Series and, you know, is uh, expects to contend for several yeah. more. I mean, that, and and the calculus has changed a little bit. I mean, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but the conventional wisdom had been, it's unlikely that a team would trade for Machado now. Because everybody presumes he's going to become a free agent at the end of next year. Right. Well, okay, if you're the Phillies, and now that the Dodgers made the move that they made, trading away a bunch of guys so mm. that they can go after and go big in the free agent class of 2018 too, then is it advantageous at all to the Phillies to see if you can trade for Machado now with the, with kind of the unspoken promise of signing him long term once you exactly. get him? Absolutely. If, you know, if you had that promise. I would do everything in my power to trade for Manny Machado, uh, but I don't know that. The other and can get, they do that and get a Chris Archer at the right. same time? But even beyond Chris Archer, so then then two other names that that Gelb dropped in a recent piece on Philly.com. Subscribe now today. Blah 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 blah. Uh, Three point oh nine ERA, two hundred one innings pitched, um, a two point six five strikeout to walk ratio, eighth place in the Cy Young this year. That would be Marcus Stroman of the Toronto Blue Jays, um, twenty six years old, cost controllable. I think he's only um, heading into arbitration right now. And then the other one was Danny Duffy, who I've always been a, a fan of, who's mm. always already had his Tommy John surgery, who... Um, <laughs> so he's got a warrant. <laughs> yeah, right. But, he, I mean, <laughs> now, in fairness, he's never, um, you know, he's never never reached 200 innings, and frankly, he's only come close once, and is 28 years old. But, I mean, those are names that, to me, like, if you... if you it, Let's say even you get two of those, um, I think all of a sudden you're talking about a, a team that could 
contend for 500 and maybe even in, the in wild card. The wild card in, in the right. See, I, I think what we what we th- what we like to do is assume that the players that would have to play really well, Altair, mm-hmm. Williams, <laughs> Altair slash Williams slash Herrera, if they stay, right? Uh, Reese Hoskins. Um, Cesar Hernandez, who's probably been their most consistent player over the last two or three years, mm. and is an intriguing player. We assume that they will continue to produce as if they're 28 years old. That's an assumption that you can't make with those players. And when you do trade an asset like a Freddie Galvis, who you know is a low-bar player, but you know exactly what you're going to get, mm. uh, and, and you can argue the value of him. And when you do sign a guy like like Carlos Santana – which means you have to do something in your outfield and, you know, the Tommy Joseph era is over. You put yourself in a position to need to lean on players who you don't know if you can lean. Who's their, who's their starting catcher next year who's going to hit better than 250 and more than 15 homers? They don't have one. They That's don't what have I'm one right I mean, you, yeah. you've, got, you've got so many question marks still – that I don't know that this time next year isn't a better I isn't a better I, I can never I can never fault a team having lived through the process I can never fault a team for trying to get incrementally better as long as there's no advantage to becoming catastrophically bad hmm. however when you start the the reason this this rant this ramble the point is when you say they sh- they should they could expect to be 500 or contend for a wild card spot I, uh, that to me remains off the board, even with a quality starting pitcher. Because who's your number three starter? Who's your number four starter? Well, I mean, I, I you have to have two other guys. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was. Uh, I think they. I mean, they need two pit starting pitchers for that. For you know, they have Nola. And they, they have they Nola need, and they need two starting pitchers yeah. for them to, to even think about contending next year. I was saying you could get if you got a Chris Archer and say Danny Duffy. Um, you know, I think they could more than afford that. Um, they probably could, but I think at that point, your cupboard's relatively bare. Like you, you're not making more moves unless you move them as well. Unless you, unless you flip. Well, you got to keep in mind we haven't even traded Cesar Hernandez yet. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think they're in an interesting position. And look, I'm not going to pretend that that they are actually going to be in contention next year. It's just interesting that that. Uh, it's interesting to try to we can talk to, about it to to, yeah. re, to, to to try to project what both you know. Clint, Matt Clentak and Gabe Kapler and Andy McPhail, McPhail are right. thinking. Yeah. You know, what is their vision with this team? And I mean, and how much of it and how much and not to interrupt, sorry, uh-huh. but how much of it is driven by whatever pressure is coming down from John exactly. Middleton. Exactly, yeah. You know. And you know, the the, the greatest miscalculation, you know, uh, besides the Freddie Garcia trade. <laughs> <laughs> you the love the Freddie Garcia trade. I, you bring I, that up every chance you, you get. Andrew, You've mentioned it is the it's Jeff Ruland and it's Andrew Bynum. It, it was ridiculous. But the greatest miscalculation was Pat Gillick looking at that 2006 team, I think it was, and saying we are three years from contending. Yeah. You know, two years later they won a World Series, and he wasn't joking. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't trying to stoke a fire. I was standing right by. I think, I think it might have been the day they traded ill-fated Corey Lytle. Yeah, it was the yeah. Abreu Lytle tra- and, day. And he said, hey, yeah. you know, we know we're not going to win. Well, you didn't. Hmm. So where does that leave us? It, with Phillies-wise? Yeah. You know, again, it's a much longer Do you process. like the Santana deal? I'm indifferent to it. I, I believe that you had to move one of those outfielders and putting Reese Hoskins. If Reese Hoskins can play left field better than Pat Burrell, which he can asleep, Right, or right-handed, or whatever, left-handed, or whatever. 
um, then you have that's not an issue, especially in that left field. If you have right good defensive mm-hmm. outfielders, and especially you have these three of them counterbalancing it with hitting for power, right? Or driving right. You can, you can, you can. That's that's a position that you can suffer at. And I think he's going to get better. I think he's a better athlete than people give him credit for. And it's left field. That's where you put the the worst right. defensive player if you if he can't play first. We base. haven't even ta- discussed what we expect out of J.P. Crawford as yeah, presumably exactly. the starting shortstop, which is the huge a huge X factor. I mean. Let me ask you this. If I told you I'm going to trade the leader in the clubhouse and give the job to a guy who needed to have a fire lit under him by a Baseball America article last year, I mean, that to me, it, it, there, there are more questions about J.P. Crawford's mind and physical abilities than anything else in the organization. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I was kind of curious to see you know, because Galvis is, as you mentioned, you knew what you were going to get with him. And he is the leader in that clubhouse. And he's versatile enough defensively that I was really curious to see. Like, I, I wouldn't have thought he would necessarily have been the first one to be moved. Because he's such a good bench player, if nothing else. Right. And he can play second, you know. And third. You could have moved Hernandez to third. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were insistent on Crawford playing shortstop. You know, does Galvis play second until Kingery presumably is Scott Kingery presumably is ready? Mm-hmm. I just I wouldn't have thought that the immediate move would have been let's get Freddie Galvis out of there. You know, and so I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm really interested to see interested to see how that plays out. Um, I think they're similar to the Sixers in this regard. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, as you to your point, Marcus, the unknown is still very pervasive at a number of key spots. You know, and the need potentially to improve significantly is there at key spots. And we don't know yet whether, you know, they're counting on Scott Kingery being a tremendous second baseman, it mm-hmm. seems. They're tremendous. Tremendous. Yeah, uh, break the mold best, second. They're, they're best counting, second baseman. Right. Let's, let's assume, <laughs> you know, as we said, they're going to trade presumably either Herrera, Nick Williams, or Aaron Altair. Altair. Yeah. They're... It, are they going to keep Altair? And if so, can you presume he's going to stay healthy for an entire season? That's a big question. You know, if they if they keep Nick Williams. Stay are you healthy. Gonna, that, that is very Sixers-ish. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of unknown there. And while there's, you know, there's excitement, I suppose, and anticipation of what's to come, the unknowns. You know what you never, you never see, though, really across the board in sports? Teams, especially if they have invested in a player, they never assume he'll get hurt again. Mm. They they, they mm. don't believe in injury prone. Be, it's funny. Other teams will maybe come off a player and when it comes to acquiring them because he's had an injury history. But when he's in your house, you'll you'll ride him a little bit longer even though he's had an injury history. It's an interesting sort of psychological uh, consistency, I'd say. And it, and it goes throughout sports. I mean, Charlie Garner, when he was an Eagle. Yeah. You know, they kept giving him money, and he kept getting hurt. Yeah. You know, Ryan Matthews, when he was an Eagle, kept giving him money, kept getting hurt. Yeah, it's not, I, I mean, that, and that's a danger in trading for a player because nobody knows a player better than his the Doctor. organization yeah. that just has seen him, him for, yeah. you know, I mean, baseball it's going to be Freddie Garcia. Eight, eight, nine. Yeah. And, and, like, I mean, the medicals are obviously <laughs> the number one. Yeah. You know, like, like teams know when a guy – is losing something before the the charts mm-hmm. show it, right. you know. Um, so yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a point well taken. I I never meant to imply that the we should actually be 
Um, considering I, them a wild card yeah, contender. But I, it, it's well, just interesting how much... They're two moves. They're two pitching moves away from being a 500 exactly. team. Right. And, that's, and, 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 and are the, they going to make those moves? Right. right. And the other aspect, too, which we haven't touched on, is look at the rest of the division. The Marlins got rid of, of Giancarlo Stanton. The Mets are not spending money. Right. The Nationals are standing to there lose Bryce an, Harper. There should be an it, investigation. The Braves the are, don't spend the Braves. Well, there's, there's been an investigation, <laughs> and it led to Bernie Madoff. The Braves are uh, in jail. Yeah, the Braves are in jail. You know... Like I said earlier, I would love to know who within the organization, I presume it's John Middleton, said, you know, the iron is hot. Can we strike it now? You know, and, and what would it take to kind of make a big jump? Yeah, it's interesting. It? I, I, I haven't looked close enough at, at the deal. I, I suspect three years and 60 for Carlos Santana is a, is a pretty good value for these days. Assuming mm-hmm. he's um, Carlos Santana and continues to be right. Carlos Santana in this lineup. But what I'm saying is that the Phillies are in a position where, like, John Middleton wants to spend money. Yeah, you know, like he, oh, yeah. he, he they, if Clentac, it could have been something as simple as Clentac going to him and saying, "Hey, look, like we have this guy valued as a four-year, you know, eight, you know, eighty-eight million dollar player, and we can get him for three and sixty with a club option. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, you know, he doesn't necessarily fit, but." Uh, you know, I think all in all, he's a good value and it would improve our club. Yeah, yeah. It could have been something as simple as that. But right. then the, the, the reverse is like, well, maybe they really think that like... Hey, man, Carlos Santana is the best player on the team right now. Ah, Reese Hoskins is pretty good. Well, you don't know that. Yeah. I mean, Carlos Santana is the only player on the team that you kind of know what you're going to get. Okay, I'll give you that. And it, it's not necessarily great. So they went out and they got the be- a best player. That, that's saying something, and it indicates to me that... I don't know that Matt Clentak is necessarily eager to win. I don't know that uh, you know right now. I don't know that. Right. <laughs> I don't know that Gabe Kapler is eager to do anything right now. But I, I do. I, I have think Gabe every, Kapler's having lunch with Matt Breen and Matt Gelb right now. He is. He is. But it, I, there's every indication that Andy McPhail is you know not going to be you know body surfing anytime soon he's he's getting up there and john middleton wants to be relevant bodies <laughs> that's a youthful activity isn't <laughs> it? i suppose surfing? that's i think, that, um, I think no but i think your point about middleton is well taken i mean middleton also i think andy. andy yeah andy has to leave his mark he's yeah. been here a couple years now this is this is his last gas this is, uh, let me let me rephrase that this is his last <laughs> chance you just killed the guy <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he, you just killed the team president marcus burns like <laughs> brian song <laughs> Um, all right. Well, well, next time we talk, I have no idea when the last time we recorded a podcast. We're not exactly. Uh, you, you can't exactly set your watch to. It's to been a challenge, but there's been a lot going there on. There has been a lot going on. You know, it's holidays. holidays. It's the holiday season. It's the hey, it's a good song. And loop de doop. Um, can we talk? We're not talking about Joel Embiid. Are we out of time? No, nah, we're out of time. I got to oh, go man. play basketball. Um, and I got unlike head. unlike Joel Embiid. Bead, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really got to pee. I really got to pee. Too. Murph's back is loose. Uh, I drank like. All right, I've all right. drank like 80 ounces of water. I hope today. you can edit this part. Um, no, I probably can't. Nah, we leave this in. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, we'll probably be back. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back next week after. Hope um, so. You know, that's the thing is like, there's not that much, to, there's not going to be that much to talk about the Eagles, you know, until Over the next couple of weeks. Until we yeah. find out who they're playing. So you, you can know? talk about Joel and the we can entire talk. podcast. We can, but I would not want to, I would not want to step on the Total Lockdown Sixers Bayless podcast. podcast. Oh, that's right. There's a there's a there's a complimentary podcast yes. on our website, Locked On Sixers with Keith Pompey. The the Keith the Not Keith the, Pompey. Keith the Volcano Pompey. Keith, uh, yeah. Anyway, is that really his nickname? No, it is now. It <laughs> is now. Marcus just gave it to him. All right. Uh, well, thanks for I listening. Uh, pr- apologize for the abbreviated podcast, but or actually, you sh- 
you'll probably be thanking me. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but uh, have a good holiday. If we don't see you before then, I hope we don't. Uh, that would, something would be drastically wrong. Um, and uh, see you next year.